From MGMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. We couldn't get tied up with the emotional distraught of what was going on around us. You know, we had we had a job to do. We had to take care of our patients. We had to get them out of the facility safely. We had to take care of the other people in our facility. Um, uh, and, you know, that was our focus. That's Bob Bush talking about the importance of disaster planning for medical practices. We'll also hear from Bob about his former practice's experience with Hurricane Michael, his tips for putting together a plan, and ways to prepare your practice and staff for a natural disaster. But first, a word from our sponsor. The value-based revolution is on, and we have your roadmap. MGMA's Book of the Month, Navigating to Value-Based Outcomes by Tom Walsh. Whether you're at a single provider office or a national chain, this book will teach you how to capture the data that matters to patients, implement shared decision-making strategies, and thrive in the era of value-based payment models. To purchase or preview Navigating to Value-Based Outcomes, visit mgma.com navigating. When disaster strikes, it's prudent for medical practices to have a plan in place. Be it a hurricane, tornado, earthquake, flood, or other emergency, the difference for both patients and providers could be life or death. Just over a year removed from helping Panama City's Bay Medical Sacred Heart through the devastation of Hurricane Michael, today's guest, Bob Bush, is well-versed in disaster management. I recently sat down with Bob while on-site at MGMA's annual conference in New Orleans, where he shared his insights on preparing and executing a disaster plan. Well, Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Now, if you could first, just tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare, how you made the journey, and where your focus is today. Uh, I started in healthcare as a physician recruiter for LifePoint uh, back in the late 90s, and kind of worked my way through from physician recruiting into uh, practice management uh, when I moved to Dallas with Methodist Health System. I've been in um, practice management for since the mid-2000s, um, have been a member of MGMA since 2008 and uh, certified, and then now I'm a fellow since 2013. Uh, presently, I'm associated with the University of Kansas Health System, St. Francis Campus in Topeka, Kansas as the Vice President of uh, Physician Services and uh, de- Business Development. Now, you are no stranger to disaster planning. You and I... <laughs> <laughs> That's not really a good, a good thing to be you know, known for is the disasters, but yeah. Well, you're, yeah, you could be a disaster expert or a, a, an expert on uh, you know, developing plans to uh, you know, prepare for disaster, whatever that might be. You and I were talking offline that it's not just hurricanes, which you see on the coast. There's, there's, uh, well, there's earthquakes. There's fires. There's tornadoes. You think about uh, Missouri, Joplin, Missouri, a few years ago was a big tornado that hit that area. But you're right. I think it's you think about it could be any type of disaster. I think when you start thinking about the definition of what a disaster is, it's going to be impactful to what practice you're talking about. So a disaster could be a snowstorm, it could be a rain, it could be a tornado, it could be a hurricane, it could be earthquakes like you said, but it also could be something more like all of a sudden this, you, know, uh, you lose connectivity to your uh, hard drive so you lose all your patient charts or you have a fire or 
there's a flood that the, the office above you, the water pipes bust, bust and things like that. So, you know, a disaster is, it could be a lot of different things for a lot of different situations, but the thing that you have to continue to look at is what can you do to be preparing for those things? And how do you minimize the impact on your practice when, that, when those disasters happen? Mm-hmm. Are there, is there a blueprint or are there just basic first steps that anyone should take who, you know, works in a medical practice, has a leadership role there, just so they are prepared depending on what the, you know, the general climate is around where they are, you know, based on those statistics and factors, what they're most likely to come in contact with? I think you need to look at your geographic area for, if you're looking at national or natural disasters, you know, is it... Are you in the tornado alley? Are you, like you said, close to the coast? Are you in California on the fault of the earthquakes? Um, do you have large amounts of snowfall? I think what you need to do, when you start looking about that, you look at what um, the likelihood of a natural disaster will be and, and start looking through your planning for that. And obviously when you start planning, you look at, okay, how can you keep um, the patient charts safe? How, how can you keep your staff safe? How, you know, how can you... Uh, make sure that you continue to, the business of collecting all the outstanding accounts receivable, how do you pay your bills, how do you keep track of your bank records, et cetera. So there's a, there's a, any, uh, as a, an office or a office administrator or a practice executive, you just start thinking of all the different things that could be impacted um, from the finances to human resources to everything else involved with the practice when a disaster can come. Um, I know when we had the hur- preparation for the hurricane in uh, Florida last year, we, we, we watch it. And every morning we had our daily huddle. It's one of the things that we always did during hurricane season is that we had um, one of our risk team gave us an update on where all the storms are. So once a storm got to a certain area, looking at it's coming close to Panama City, we, we put into action our disaster plan. So uh, we had staffing that we brought into the hospital, uh, all the outside offices. We um, brought all anything that is um, could be that was in the refrigerators, anything that we had that was um, could be. Um, could be affected by not having electricity or, or refrigeration was brought in. All the monies were brought in. Um, any kind of anything that would have been, you know, safer at the hospital than in all, all, all sort of offices, we all brought that into the hospital just to make sure that we knew where it was at uh, in case the hurricane turned into something more than we expected at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's just all that steps of planning and uh, planning for what you need to do to uh, one protect your your assets and then. Um, be able to take the next step once the storm passes. Okay, how do you how do you get back into business? Mm-hmm. So, patient uh, employee records, patient records, anything we could do to make sure that we communicate back and forth to our employees and to the to patients were really important to us when we were start thinking about planning. Right, and you were talking earlier about a hurricane that you were you know involved with. You you uh, saw it's the brunt of it and the aftermath, and we're talking about. Uh, Hurricane Michael uh, that hit, was that in 2018? 2018. Uh, October 10th, uh, 2018. Uh, It was a Wednesday. Yeah. So um, we we watched the the storm come across the the Gulf of Mexico and, you know, people in that part of of the country, they just thought it was going to be another rainstorm. You know, even even when it was at a Category 2, it's just going to be a longer and a bigger rainstorm than a Category 1. But when Michael changed drastically in the last day, 
from a one and a two to a three or a four, you know, we started pulling employees and doctors into the facility to get ready for uh, a little bit more of a major rainstorm. Um, when Michael finally came ashore, it was a category five with winds over 200 miles an hour, um, devastating to the panhandle of Florida and, and parts of Georgia and up to South Carolina. Um, you know, I think we, we, had, we did the best job we could planning. Uh, we had the staff there. We had, um, you know, we had 231 patients in the hospital. We had 27 were on ventilators. Uh, but we also called our staff in in advance of the storm where we had 1,500 uh, non-patients in our facility. And we wanted to make sure that our, our staff was, was there um, and then their families and our physicians and their families uh, plus, they brought their pets. So we had over 200 pets in the facility, dogs and cats. Um, we limited it to dogs and cats. We didn't want snakes and birds. Uh, um, so it was quite, a, quite a, a large group of people. And then, you know, we didn't realize that the storm was going to be so devastating to the Panama City area. So it was a major disaster. We lost The community lost its services. There was no longer sewer services, there was no longer water, electricity. Um, the community was cut off because of the trees and everything else down, cutting off the roads. Uh, and it took probably a good 18 to 24 hours before you know, help could get to Panama City. So we were on our own. Uh, we had no internet, we had no uh, hard line uh, phones. So we had only one uh, type of cell phone that was working. It was an AT&T cell phone, everything else on Verizon, that part of the world. So uh, for the whole facility, we had one, one communication tool to get to the outside world. Hmm. You had mentioned you had prepared initially, it sounded like a very bad storm and then a category one or two, and you're seeing the weather reports changing. At what point did you know this this has potential for something really serious here. When the Weather Channel showed up. Well, wow. the Weather Channel, yes. when they show up for a, a possible event, you, you know there's a probability of that right. turning into something worse than you thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, when we heard the Weather Channel was, was uh, in the area, we knew that they thought the storm had the potential of growing into something more than what we thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. How were you keeping, were you following it just the way that any person at home would follow it? Or did you have any additional access being a medical we, uh, facility? Uh, the, uh, the Bay County uh, Emergency Disaster um, Group had access to the latest information from the weather forecasters. And the community, we, we were very involved with the disaster um, management program so we knew what they knew so when they started thinking that it was going to you know move up in strength um, they communicated that to us so we were we were aware okay now you said there was a huge mobilization effort of patients of pets of uh, uh, family members of the patients as well or? We, so when the storm started getting closer and closer we called we have a, an A team and a B team so the A team came in uh, the day and a half before the, the storm was supposed to hit and the B team was being ready so typically two to three days after the storm comes through the B team, come, B team comes in and takes over for the A team um, so the A team can go home and take care of their, their houses and stuff like that. So we moved the A team in, uh, we also brought a lot of them to bring their families, bring their pets, uh, also our physicians, we wanted our physicians there. Uh, we were a level one trauma center so we wanted all the traumatologists there. Uh, 
uh, and all the support because uh, we believe that if this was going to be a big enough storm we'll see a lot of activity uh, for our trauma trauma center so we had 1500 people besides the patients so, so we had the 231 patients and then we had their immediate family here mm-hmm. with them and then we had all of our staff there okay so what did the mobilization look like what what did that constitute in reality we had a because we've been training so long and, and working with our staff it went pretty smooth the, uh, the a team knew who they were um, we communicated okay y'all need to be in the in the facility by X time on what day so they were all uh, you know, registering with us, we had assigned extra areas of the hospital that was not direct patient care, uh, assigned groups to sleep in different areas. Um, so we got a chance to be able to get everybody organized. And uh, also, why we're doing getting our the, the clinical staff and the you know the housekeepers and the cooks and everybody else, um, we had to make sure we had enough supplies. So we mm-hmm. were stocking in lots of water, lots of towels. Um, you know, anything that we thought we would need for a major rainstorm. But we didn't recognize, we weren't, you know, even though we were thinking about, a, you know, a major rainstorm, we didn't know how bad it was going to be. So with the, the volume of speed and velocity of the, of the winds, we didn't realize it would rip off the roof of the hospital. So, you know, um, we had a failure in the roofing system. We had water coming through the roofing system. So, you know, not only did we move the patients out into the hallways to protect them from the individual windows in the, in the patient rooms, now we had water intrusion into the facility that we had to work with that. So again, trying to protect the patients uh, and their families uh, during the water coming down and also try to feed them. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to figure out, okay, we didn't have, po- we had generator power, um, but we lost water from the city. So we, we lost our cooling towers for a temporary p- time. Um, we had to rig up an old um, well that we had on the campus to be able to provide water to the cooling towers so we would control the humidity in the facility. Because you got to realize it was still 89 degrees in high humidity, um, so the windows don't open up anymore, and mm-hmm. so it got really hot and sticky. So we really, that was one of the major things we had to do is get get the humidity under control. Did you have to worry about then, I guess, dehydration of some of the patients, maybe even some of the pets? Is that a worry? Or? No, no, not really, because we, we had, um, I don't remember how many cases of bottled water that we, okay. just, you know, we had throughout the facility. So, you know, that was not a problem. You know, I, I think our, our biggest concerns was all the medications that we had in the refrigerators. You know, uh, we had, with a trauma, a level one trauma center, we had all types of patients in the facility at the time of the storm. And so we had, we had to make sure we had our medications were still protected and they were still, um, you know, they're still valid to be able to, to give to the patients and things like that. So um, it was just making sure that everything we did for the patients still kept them safe. And again, mm-hmm. our, our center of attention throughout the whole thing was, okay, keeping our patients safe. And where were you, how did you decide when, when you're, you were moving patients then and, and so evacuating once, them or how did once, that well that, so we had to we had to wait until see what was coming back you know mm-hmm. we're still learning what services the city thought they can get back to us and which services okay. they couldn't depending upon what services that they could uh, reconnect with us depending upon what we would do with the patients it looked like quickly after 18 hours that the what we need to do is get the patients out of the facility it's, it's the best thing for them so 
Um, again, at this point, we still didn't have roads available to get people into us. Um, we had helicopters. Uh, we could start getting helicopters in to our heliport to start getting the most critical patients out of the facility. Uh, and that was our first, you know, we put all the patients in a priority grid and start pulling you know, patients depending mm -hmm. upon uh, what their needs were. Um, the patients in the vents, patients in the ICUs, uh, they were the first that we transported out by helicopters. And we, you know, we, at times we had two copters sitting on the pad waiting for patients to come around and another one in the air just kind of floating for their time to come in. Um, at the height of the, of the transferring out, we had 50 ambulances lined up one after the other waiting to get their turn to come in and pick up a patient. Um, you know, it was one of those things where we ended up, you know, some of the stuff we had to just take our knowledge and, and put it to good use, how we managed the, you know, the, uh, getting the patients, transferring the patients out. And, you know, we really do need to recognize all those hospitals across the Panhandle floor all the way from Jacksonville all the way across to Mobile who opened their doors to take our patients. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and a lot of those hospitals are also damaged by the hurricane that came through, but you know, we ship patients all the way out to Mobile mm -hmm. from, from Panama City. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You and I were talking earlier about planning, preparation, being ready, but then it's it's different. You can do all the planning you want, but when you actually live when it's the real thing I, I'm just I'm curious what what is what is different about it than what maybe you you had planned you had envisioned but then to actually see it feel it and experience it how how different is that what's that like I think it's a, the difference between role-playing you know we we did role-playing we did um, tabletops we did everything you can do short of an actual disaster of, of that magnitude yeah. Um, but all that role-playing playing, and the training really helped us think through what our options were. Um, you know, we, we had satellite telephones, but for some reason they weren't working. Good. Even though we tested them and we, mm -hmm. you know, all that things, we did all the testing that we needed to do, for some reason they just weren't working. Um, and I think what we ended up doing is, is Bay County came in with... Um, different types of cell phones that we could use that we basically were using those phones to get us uh, contact with the outside world and the outside hospital so we can get those patients transferred. You know, I, th I think it's one of those things where um, I think all the training helped us give us a good, strong baseline to help us make those correct decisions once mm -hmm. it really, you know, once it really happened. Yeah. Um, I think we had an awesome team. We had really had an awesome team of people that were there. Um, it was interesting. I was there for two months. The CEO was there for four months. Um, our chief nursing officer, I think, was there for a month before the hurricane. Um, but we all, you know, had, we all brought something to the table from our, you know, previous experiences. And um, I think we all just worked together and, and continued to look at what can we do to get the patients taken care of and then also take care of the community once we had our patients taken care of. Mm -hmm. What does... An experience like that, what does it teach you about leadership and the value of leadership? And I always think of that quote uh, by Hemingway, grace under pressure. I mean, there's that's some pressure right there. And, and how do you how do you remain, uh, you know, calm and, and also uh, strong in such a situation? I think you have to I think our team was one of the things that was 
amazing to me how strong we were, and we we focused on the job at hand. You know, we we couldn't get tied up with the emotional distraught of what was going on around us. You know, we had we had a job to do. We had to take care of our patients. We had to get them out of the facility safely. We had to take care of the other people in our facility, um, uh, and you know that was our focus. You know, I, I would say probably. At, you know, a year later, you know, last week when it was the anniversary, it was, you know, I had probably had different emotional feelings after, after a year than I did there. Sure. But there was, it, there was, everybody was focused on what we had to do to take care of the patients. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about what it's like to be in the storm, um, some of the processes and procedures that go through that. But I'm curious for people who are listening, who are trying to comprehend all of this, it might seem a bit overwhelming to put the plan in place. What are those first steps? What should they do if they want to develop a plan? Is there somewhere to go? Is there a, a governing body? Is there any blueprint that they can access? I would think the first thing you can do is you can talk to your local uh, disaster management group. Uh, it could be a state or organization, could be a county organization, but I would think that would be a good place to start with. Uh, and be part of the community's uh, disaster plan. Um, I know every community has different um, tabletop events and different things to be able to plan for uh, disasters. Um, you know, now I'm in Kansas, so you know we know tornadoes are coming in. So we have a lot of different um, processes that we go through every time that we, it's beginning of the summertime that we, tornadoes will be popping up, uh, and just we work with the community to make sure that you know the two hospitals in town and the you know, EMS and everybody else is prepared for whatever might happen. Um, so I think it's just locally getting involved with your disaster planning group. Uh, also, there's a lot of different tools uh, on the internet. I think MGA might have something on, on the internet that you can look at. Uh, there's a template, uh, and I, I, I truly believe that um, I've been through floods, I've been through hurricanes, through tornadoes, uh, and you cannot prepare enough for these things, but it's not one of those things you think of every day. It's like, okay, I'm putting my to-do list, okay, work on the disaster plan. But it's, it's something that's good to have it, and you gotta make sure that you work it, because um, you never know when that disaster is actually gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Now, staffing is one aspect of a disaster that intrigues me, because we already hear about burnout among healthcare professionals, of being uh, understaffed, overworked, and depending on the time frame of what this disaster, how long it lasts, what's the plan in place then to provide some support, some downtime for uh, the staff so you can, you can give them the relief that they need? Yes, and, and the plan that we have is uh, we have the A team and the B team. Okay. So each team had uh, a shift, two shifts. So there was, you know, everybody, if they were on a team, they'd be a 12-hour shift. So everybody had a chance to go off, off stage, relax, get some rest, get some nutrition. Um, so that's how we designed it so they can do it. Um, you know, if we're talking about uh, physician practices, you know, they wouldn't have that demand uh, mm -hmm. of having two teams there, or really four teams. Um, but you would have to come up with a methodology if, if it was a tornado like they had in Joplin and it affected um, communication within the city. You have to have primary and secondary ways to contact your staff, uh, contact the physicians, um, and keep in touch with all those people. Mm -hmm. You know, as an as individual uh, physician practice, I think one of the things that uh, is really important is have the, the board of the physicians 
go over the disaster plan, and each physician will have a certain responsibility to manage that disaster plan. And you know, the reality of this is that everybody wants to protect their house is their first thing. Their house and their family is their first thing. Um, but sometimes you have to uh, look at the bigger picture, uh, and that's a tough conversation you're going to have with your, the physicians. Um, that you know, we're all here for the patients, and we're all here for our staff, we're all here for the future, uh, and. Yes, just because a window's missing in your house, you know, we're a wall's down at the, mm -hmm. at the clinic. You know, okay, you know, there's, we need to look at the big picture and make sure everybody's tied to the big picture and that. And I think having those conversations with the physicians and giving them responsibilities and having them buy into that responsibility is going to help, you know, pay dividends in the future. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier. You were talking about you, you guys actually were role-playing what would happen. Do you do if-then scenarios or some form of that? Like, if this happens, then we, we're prepared Correct. to do this. Correct. So what we do is, you know, I think as we're talking about preparing for hurricanes. So the tabletop was, okay, if we have a level one or a level two or even a level three and X happens or Z happens, okay, what's the response? Um, you know, I don't think, you know, even though we probably talked about it, but we never went through the, the total idea of, okay, so all of a sudden we have complete failure of all services across the county, um, you know, no water, no electricity, no telephones, no, you know, sewers. Um, you know, I know we, for electricity purposes, we had, we had um, five weeks worth of diesel, um, but we didn't have... We didn't have our own well, so we, you know, we had our own well, but it wasn't active. So, you know, things like water service and sewer service and mm -hmm. communication to the outside world. Yes, we had satellite phones, but you know, you know, those things don't don't always work. So you're trying to do, you're trying to plan everything you can for the best, oh, yeah. the best you can. Yeah, and you you showed me some photos yesterday that were just truly devastating. I mean, there were buildings that almost didn't look like buildings anymore. It looked more like a war zone. Um, and, you know, really, they, you know, they say uh, uh, a picture's worth a thousand words, and it's, it's, it's very true in seeing those. And I just wanted you to kind of explain that to us. How are, You were just mentioning that you're, you just passed the one-year anniversary, I believe. Is that correct, correct? correct? So where are we now in the, in the rebuild uh, you know, you, make, you made the comment about looking like a war zone. So the people that came in, you know, be it the, the Army, because um, we ended up having a medical hospital in our parking lot, um, those people said it looked like a war zone. The, prior to the storm, uh, the, the panhandle was very green. We had lush pine forests everywhere. Um, you know, and it was a very lush area. So when the storm came through, um, it was the interesting thing was that the the eye came in just east of Panama City. So all the trees broke off, heading back towards the Gulf, and every tree basically was about 10 feet up was cut off. It was just like sheared off from the wind shear. So all of a sudden, all you have is these trees that are probably two, three feet in diameter are now laying all over the streets and pulling down the power lines and pulling down, you know, power poles and everything else. So the trees were gone. All the, you know, houses had the, the roofs pulled off. The apartment buildings were damaged. Restaurants were closed. Um, 
you know, and I think, you know, one of the things that just, it's just one thing played upon another, um, you know, when you start thinking about healthcare and communities, the behavioral health hospital had to close. The, uh, the two hospitals had to close. You know, all of a sudden, your level one, so the, we were the level one hospital for a geographic swash of Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, that all of a sudden, anything that happens in that area that should have came to us now has to go somewhere else. Okay. So you're taxing every system. On, it has a ripple effect. It has yeah. a ripple effect. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing all that stuff. So, you know, uh, a war zone was, was, was truly that. You know, we had, we had the um, National Guard and Humvees driving around, and wow. we had, um, you know, unfortunately we had the looters, and we had, you know, we had that situation. Um, so Panama City right now is growing back. Uh, the trees are still the way they were. Um, I think they're getting closer to getting all the um, the trees that fell over and the trash that was thrown around cleaned up at this point. Um, I, I've been, um, I subscribe to the Chamber of Commerce's website and okay. they always send out updates and they're, they're celebrating the little things. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that they're celebrating the fleet coming back in, and they celebrated um, schools opening on time this year um, because it's, it was a lot of little things that trying to rebuild the community. Um, and, the, and the good thing about Panama City and the Bay Area was that the community did come together, and the nation came together. Um, that we had people come from wherever, bringing carloads of water and clothing and diapers and you know and um, my wife ended up volunteering at one of the um, as, a, as a collection point so she was taking water out to different parts of the community and giving clothes and, and things like that so you know it was a it was a comforting thought to see how the nation you know um, you know gave back and responded to the disaster in Panama City right Wait. Before we close, any final thoughts then you would want to share with our listeners on the experience or the importance of, of planning and, and just doing the best you can in the in the wake of a disaster? I, I think the more that you can plan for it, it will make it it'll immediate, uh, immediate the best you can. Because I think the more planning that you do, the better outcome you'll have. Um, the more that you communicate with your team, the more that you have uh, supplies ready, the more that you have um, backups for you know the computer systems and you know uh, making sure all the patient charts are saved to the cloud or saved to some type of way that you can make sure that you get them back when you need them, or if you can't get open again, that you have a way to transfer those records to whoever the caregiver is, is. Um, you know, and come up with a way that you know. Every night, you're going to have to come up with a methodology where you have a fail-safe. So if, if, if some, you, know, you have a backup somewhere that you can have in security, um, so you can, have, you, know, you can come, back to, come back and open up the practice again. So I think it's all the planning, uh, practicing. It goes back to, like, you, know, you have to do fire drills. You know, you think about it, you know, some people wouldn't think a fire drill is a you know, disaster planning, but it truly is. Cause you know, you never know when the fire's going to be. You know, you want to make sure all your staff's out. You want to make sure your patients are out. You want to make sure all the things that you need to get out of the office, mm-hmm. the cash, et cetera, uh, is, is taken care of when that thing happens. So you need to have, it doesn't have to be a hurricane. It can be a fire. It could be a flood. 
um, those are all impactful to practices and businesses. Yeah, Bob, this is a really a powerful story and an important one, and I want to thank you so much for sharing it with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, the invitation. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Bob Bush. For help with disaster preparedness and emergency planning for your practice, be sure to take advantage of the many resources and tools on MGMA.com. Also, don't forget to check out MGMA's Book of the Month, Navigating to Value-Based Outcomes. To purchase or preview the book, visit MGMA.com slash navigating. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Craig Weberg, Rob Ketchum, Declan McGee, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.